and welcome back to the Film Sake Podcast. I am Brian Archidia. And I'm Chris Lucky. And today we have a guest with us. Jonathan, say hi. Hello. <laughs> I'm a bit uh, nervous. I haven't never been on a podcast before. Really? It's uh, fine. You just yeah, you'll make a couple of dick jokes and say good things about movies. Yeah, like fine. I love podcasts. So it's, it is an honor to. And you're on iTunes. Like, that's awesome. Hell yeah, yeah we're on iTunes. Hell yeah. Episode 13. Episode motherfucking 13. My favorite number. Right, lucky really? number 13. Hell lucky yeah. Lucky number 13. My last name is Lucky, and they say that 13 is like the unlucky number. You know, so I'm like, I'm putting it together. That's my shit. <laughs> lucky number 13. All the time. So, oh, that's great. Uh, all right, so unlucky. let's do the catch-up. I feel like... Hey, you shut your fucking mouth. Did you hear that bullshit? <laughs> what could did he say? Un- could be unlucky. You see? I don't need that kind of shit. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just, you, you, you invited him to the podcast. We'll just find out. <laughs> so he's my responsibility. <laughs> yeah, he's your responsibility. <laughs> Jonathan, I don't have to deal with that shit. I, I think I'm going to have to take you out back and shoot you. Sorry. <laughs> 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 this is works. He calls the shots. I do the dirty words. Yeah, just saying, man. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> all right. So you guys... Well, no, but Jonathan here is, uh, we met him uh, in school a couple of quarters ago, mm-hmm. and we worked on a, on a couple of little short clips, I mean, short videos, and he's been doing writing and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, and we just kind of bonded over film. Yeah. Whatever, so we, and he's a, and we really wanted to get him on the podcast to talk about the film, just because I think it's interesting to get more than one person or more than two people to, to talk here every so often. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, and he's a huge, huge, huge fucking Kubrick fan. <laughs> I mean, one of the, the biggest standouts, um, I think it was our first quarter that we met him, and you were watching a lot of uh, Kubrick stuff. Right. And uh, I think you brought up a Clockwork Orange. And mm-hmm. the one part you kept bringing up was uh, the well, 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 well. I think I even watched that scene two days ago yeah. to just get in the mode, and I, I recorded it yeah. on it's, my phone. It's honestly one of my favorite uh, Kubrick scenes, yeah. just because it's so absurd. Yes. Well, well, well. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Long time no vidi, Droog. Yeah. <laughs> So that's what we'll be, we'll be getting into today. Yeah, today we're... <laughs> Who was that? Who was that? Fucking damn it. I thought I muted it. That, that had to be Jonathan. That was that had to be Jonathan because yeah. we talked about it right before we got yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, no. And I gave him shit for it. I you was sure like, did. Jonathan, mute your phone. Yep. So I thought my phone was fucking muted. Yeah. Guess what? I'm the unprofessional <laughs> Fucking up. Fucking up. I God love how, like, it. when you're not even... When you're, like, not busy, mm-hmm. you know phone nothing's happening. nothing happens no yeah. talk no, nothing from friends you are an undesirable busy, communication can't hang out but you're doing something and then 12 <laughs> notifications <laughs> so yeah all at once you know what i'm gonna read my computer too <laughs> all right uh yeah and i hate it when that happens i used to do youtube and every time when we were recording we record one day out of the week and that day specifically i told all my friends we are recording mm. i am not available yeah. Yeah. Every time I finished, I ended up with like 10 Facebook messages, like four texts. Yep. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> Every guys? Every time. <laughs> I like told you I'm not available. You motherfuckers keep talking to me. Yeah. I love you guys, but goddamn. I guess we should see, did uh, did you see any movies over the past weeks, <clears throat> months? Um. Yeah. I saw uh, I saw Jungle Book. How was Jungle one. Book? Dude, it was, it was fucking amazing. Really? Like, see. I was actually really, really impressed. It was very good. That's uh, surprising, because for me, it was a movie that no one sort of wanted or asked for. I didn't know that, but... Uh, the cast, I mean, Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson, and John Favreau as the director, like, looking back, looking at it now, I can see why it got over $100 million in the, in the weekend. Oh, yeah. But we talked about it in the podcast, and it was just like, oh, I'm probably not going to go see it, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, it's a story we've all seen yeah. or know of, if you're a Disney fan at all. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just felt like it, it was really good. It huh. was just very good. Um, I really liked 
Idris Elba as Shere Khan. He was oh, definitely yeah. the best part. Oh, that's nice. right. I mean, that cast is that's absolutely stellar. Yeah. Now that I hear all the names mm-hmm. that are in it, that cast is fucking incredible. It's just yeah, yeah. a beautiful film, too. Um, nice. I saw I saw Demolition, Demolition? With, my, with my baby, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, who else <laughs> is in it? You're a Gyllenhaal fan, too? Oh, dude. If favorite, I'll stop. Favorite if Gyllenhaal was, movie? <laughs> oh. It's a hard choice. I, I, oh. I don't think I really fell in love with Jake Gyllenhaal until I saw... Nightcrawler. Oh, Nightcr- wow, that was Nightcrawler recent. Was a That's really like a yeah, movie. Like, I don't yeah. really think I started to appreciate him uh, until Nightcrawler. Did you go back to Donnie Darko? Yeah, I have had to. I've watched Donnie Darko about three, four times to fully understand what the fuck is happening. <laughs> it's a trip. <laughs> so that one with the weird rabbit and yeah. time travel. Yeah, mm-hmm. I gotta watch that. But shit. Uh, yeah, definitely watch it. Uh, yeah. But Demolition was so good, dude. Really, nice. highly recommend it. Um, it's basically just about him. Just completely reevaluating his life. Huh. Uh, definitely recommend it. Uh, I mean, he, I won't. Re- I don't. I won't spoil anything. But definitely go watch it. Definitely. Oh yeah, recommend it. Cool. Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal is amazing. I I, oh, yeah. I fell in love with him when I saw him in Zodiac. Oh, Zodiac! I didn't see that. Zodiac is really good movie. It's yeah. David Fincher. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, just David Fincher directing. It's just like It's just like, mm, Fincher. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David. So, Sodek was really good. And had, had, uh, Downey Jr. and, and Jake Gyllenhaal. And, mm. uh, fuck, it was just I like how you pronounce Jake Gyllenhaal's last name. It's like he's a ghoul. Gyllenhaal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Gyllenhaal. Uh, here's the thing. I saw an interview about him. And yeah. he was like. On Conan? Uh, I, I think it was Conan. Yeah. No, right, no, I gotta man. My fucking phone. Hell no. <laughs> I'm this sorry. This fucking guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> you see this shit? I feel. Sorry. I feel like he's trying to like notification shame us to like let us know how popular he is. But <laughs> 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 making sure you know it's, it's crazy. What the fuck, man? You know what the funny thing is? It's just one person. It's the yeah. same person every goddamn time. Every podcast. Yeah. The same, the same one. goddamn person. <laughs> who, who is it? It's my friend Louise. Oh, okay. she goes, she's a friend from high school. Yeah. And every goddamn time she's the one that rings. My phone blinks. It's usually her on the podcast. Mm. So so shout out to you, Louise. You, you've been on my podcast a lot of times. Yes. How, from how, the spot. How is the podcast doing? Like how many views? All of them. All the views. All, All the views. views. <laughs> All of them. Yes. We are just fucking view galore. <laughs> yep. Everybody watches our podcast week in and week out. They watch the shit out of it. They so. watch the fuck out of this podcast. So there you go. <laughs> no, but the, one of the most interesting things I like about doing the podcast is that I can check the stats on who's listening and where they're listening to yeah. mm-hmm. on SoundCloud. I got some fucker from a country in Denmark that I can't pronounce mm-hmm. that consistently listens to the podcast. Yeah. That's awesome. And I have no idea who you are, man, I mean, but I, I'm so happy that you're there. It's really cool. <laughs> I oh, think yeah. any, you know, any... St- um, film student would love to listen to this because I mean we're in the same boat. I mean we're just trying to figure out how this out. fucking all this shit works, yep. and they can relate to probably a lot of things that you guys discuss. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, funny thing, funnily enough, because uh, we're in the, we go to the same school, have pretty much the same classes all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we usually come up with a story about uh, film school or anything that happened in school, yeah, I mean people, <laughs> we the people that, that listen to this know who the fuck we're talking about. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty weird, intimate, but not really intimate kind of relationship with listeners. Because mm-hmm. um, people at school know me personally. So they see me interacting every day. And then they listen to me on the podcast. And I don't think I'm that different. All right. Listen to say. this big shot. <laughs> you see this big shot here? <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Big Podcast guy. <laughs> I'm fucking with you. <laughs> uh, listen, I got to stroke my ego sometimes. Oh, yeah. my head. I have enough <laughs> self-loathing in my life. Yeah, that's true. I think we all do, yeah. <laughs> I think we all um, do. By the way, careful with the cables. I think one of them just crackled a little bit. Yeah. It was probably me. We'll edit that out. It's all good. That's the magic of editing. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
I'm I'm super. I have I, I'm not able to go to the movies a lot because mm-hmm. movies are expensive as dicks. Yep. Yeah, so like every ticket is ten bucks, and I have I have twenty bucks a week to eat. Mm. Um, I feel like you can get dicks for cheaper than ten bucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just feel like yeah. It, it depends on where you go. I'm yeah. just, just saying, like ten dollars for a dick, like that seems pretty pricey. Yeah, dicks are yeah. pretty much a dime a dozen. Yeah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, movies are expensive though. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't really go to movies a lot because they're expensive. But you work at a cinema. I yeah, yeah I, I I definitely have the privilege because I know every like any film student wants to see. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every film usually and just observe every film and I know it's kind of difficult because movies are they're expensive. Very mm-hmm. expensive. Yeah. I mean so, even even buying them on DVD if you don't want to pirate them you're looking at maybe a hundred dollars a month for like mm-hmm. the top movies of the month. Yeah. 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 I, I got the privilege. Yeah. Uh, I can see. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous. One of the only reasons I considered working at a cinema was just so I could watch fucking movies. Oh yeah. Really? I mean yeah. that that's what keeps me there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's also just a great environment, but yeah. I mean, that, that's what uh, Patton Oswalt did for 20 years. Really? Worked at the movie theater, sat back there writing books. Damn. Hell yeah. That's, uh, Patton Oswalt is an incredible comedian. He's fucking awesome. He's so awesome. And it's, yeah. it's a shame because I started working upstairs, mm-hmm. but that was after they got rid of uh, film. Mm-hmm. Now it's all digital. Yeah. So I'm just clicking on a computer and stuff. And I, I've been cheated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the film experience yes, got taken away. It would have been really cool to like change out reels and stuff. But Yeah. That's okay. When Tarantino makes another movie, you'll get the chance. Yeah. Is Stonecrest a? Uh, that's a film, I believe. That's a film. Yeah. So, is every is it film and digital, or can you watch I'd, just? Watch I'd assume it would be both. As okay. Stonecrest, I, I didn't even know about Stonecrest doing the road show for yep. April Eight. And yeah, I don't know about that. Well, I was super sad we missed that because that was like our first uh, our first podcast, yeah. and it was it's like the one that's listened the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm super sad that I didn't get to see a road show because I mean that would be fucking incredible. Yeah, yeah. that would be really cool. Yeah. yeah. Did There's some good movies coming out later, but I assume that is that like a later segment you talk about? Oh, yeah, we talk oh, about yeah, we do premieres. Gotcha. If you try to show me up, I swear. <laughs> okay. I, I saw his thunder one week and we, I didn't hear the end of it. Oh, are, you the, are you the guy? Oh, I'm the, I'm the guy. <laughs> I'm the guy to come to see, yeah. He is the okay. guy. No, no, we have premieres at the end, though. But um, okay. I only thing I've seen this past week is Trumbo. Trumbo? Uh, the movie with uh, Brian Cranston and uh, right, Helen Mirren. Right, the fucking writer that got blacklisted? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yep. Yeah. 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 He ties into the Stanley Cooper talk today. Really? Sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. You'll be able to hear about that. Shit, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. How was, that, how was that movie? It's really, really good. Really? I mean, Brian Cranston can do no wrong. Helen Mirren is like in her 60s and... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, mm. <laughs> I know... Uh, I know Lon said that movie was really good, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. It's really true. Yeah. It's a very true depiction of uh, writing in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of fucked up. Did uh, he get, he got blacklisted because yeah. of, like, uh, they, communist, he's part of the Communist Party or something What, what like they that? considered communist. I mean, we, what the hell? My dog's being, oh. <laughs> my dog's being an asshole. Pot. What he consider? Yeah. <laughs> what they consider communist. I mean, he just believed that everybody deserved an equal share of the pot. And what was going on in America, it was just huge capitalism. If you're not with capitalism, then you're against America. And it's basically making everyone what is a terrorist now what is a communist then. Oh, you okay. know? Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah. So, but uh, wasn't Brian Cranston's character not even a – he wasn't even associated with the party, right? Not with the party. It was just his um His, his ideology? Yeah, his ideology, yeah. So, I mean, I mean it's, it's a fucked up example of how easy, you know, you can get dragged into something that you have no part of. Yeah. Real I know quick. we haven't gotten into that yeah. talk yet, but – uh, you know, Spartacus mm-hmm. came out in 1960. Who Stanley, directed that? Stanley Kubrick. Holy shit! Nice. But who wrote that though? Donald Trumbo. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, Trumbo he did. Spartacus. Oh, that's fucking awesome. But uh, 
like he was at Blacklisted at the time, so Kirk Douglas, who was pretty much the head we're honcho good, for Spartacus, because um, I think it was being done through his production company. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. part of a deal with Stanley Kubrick. Uh, I, lost my, I lost my train of thought. But <laughs> yeah, so he was Blacklisted, Trumbo was, and then I guess uh, once Spartacus came out, Kirk Douglas kind of broke. Kirk Douglas pretty much got Dalton Trumbo off the blacklist by mentioning yeah. him in the credits, and I think it oh, okay. it helped. Uh, so kind of helped redeem Trumbo. But it was yeah. one of those things where like thirteen people got blacklisted, and yep. then thirteen people could not. I mean, people even they after get a job. Them, they couldn't get jobs anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just completely shut out of the industry. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is a fucking bummer when you're a filmmaker. If you're shut out of the industry, you know you're kind of fucked. They were shut out by a lot of their own friends. I mean, it was either name the names of your friends or, or you go too. down with them. You yeah. know. So yeah, it was it was really really good, but that's really the only thing I've seen. Do you watch a show called um, was it Broad Gilmore City? Girls? Gilmore Girls is good. <laughs> Gilmore Go- Girls was good. You take that shit back. Uh, that shit was good for a while. My girlfriend was is obsessed with Gilmore Girls, and uh, we did we have watched a couple episodes of Broad City. Yeah, Broad City is my new shit. It is this is a really funny show? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I haven't delved too deep into it though. That's nice. It's a good show. Yeah. I they I I've, every time mm-hmm. I see them, it's because they do some weird, crazy shit, and they, they show up in my trending on Facebook. Yeah, about being like mildly offensive. Yeah, like people shit with that. One of them did. One of them had a. I don't know what with Blake Griffin. I don't oh know yeah, what? Uh, Blake Griffin was in a uh, <laughs> episode two weeks ago, and it was just like the weirdest sexual encounter that didn't involve actual <laughs> penetration. <laughs> yeah, so it was just dry humping and sadness. No, it, it's just like <sighs> they were just carrying each other and stretching and. Yeah, totally not suggestive thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was fucking great. It was really funny. But they did it all naked. That all was naked. the funny part. <laughs> all naked. I'm super glad that that show's doing so well. Yeah. I mean, ah, uh, I just love Amy it. Poehler, showrunner. Amy Poehler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, give me a second. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything yet. Yeah. I, don't, I haven't. Like, what did I do last week? I haven't seen anything really. Yeah. I think the most. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I haven't seen anything. Yeah, I've been so busy with like writing. I've, I've been writing a little bit. Yeah. Instead of like watching some movies, I'm working on a couple of like stupid, stupid, stupid script ideas. Okay. That are are kind of dumb because writing is writing is tough, man. It's a, it's a pain. Like, yeah. I applaud mm-hmm. anyone who is able to just come up with, no matter how stupid the story is yeah. to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, writing is so. I think when I got into film school, mm-hmm. I put. I put a lot of pressure on mm-hmm. myself to kind of learn everything, and I just had to kind of step back and <laughs> – sorry, the audio got low. Yeah, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself, so I've been trying to relax more. And uh, We yeah. actually watched Forrest Gump really? uh, in Lon's class, and you know we've all seen that movie tons of times. Yeah. So Lon was like, does anyone actually know the concept of this? <laughs> And I was like, no, what is it? And he said, pretty much, you know, if you don't put pressure, so much pressure on yourself or uh, to succeed. You can probably, you can it, usually it, get a lot farther. Because you notice the two main characters, like the antagonist is Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the protagonists are Lieutenant Dan and. Lieutenant Dan. And, uh, Jenny. <laughs> and, you know, these people are just trying so hard to find themselves and. Yeah, and, and Forrest Gump and, just kind of comes and in. And shit and just come, ends up bad for them all the time, especially Jenny. Yeah, and Forrest Gump just kind of went with the flow. It was it was AIDS, right? Oh, AIDS, yeah, yeah, AIDS, AIDS. AIDS killed her. Yeah, it was. Yeah, AIDS. yeah. But Forrest doesn't have the AIDS, so does he? No, no, no. I think 
what happened Shit, was. Dude, I don't even think about what? that. That's all I think about. <laughs> that is all I think about. Because, all right, if Jenny has the AIDS, because they just said it was a virus, you know, mm. so it's not cancer. You know, so if Jenny has AIDS and then Forrest was with Jenny, does Forrest and their kid have AIDS now? Uh, they never, exp- they, I, I think they do that. Oh, sorry, that was me. <laughs> I, I just don't want the dog to scratch at the door. This is what happens when you hit your studios in a room. Uh, Man. I think Jenny, uh, they, they don't mention it on purpose. I think they want you to think about Forrest Gump having yeah. AIDS. yeah. And the kid having AIDS too, mm-hmm. but I don't think that was the case. I don't think there was any indication to say that that they got um, AIDS or there was no indication. Sort. Yeah, you know, but I'm Re- just, probably, probably, you know, yeah. But uh, that that movie, people give Jenny a lot of crap in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always found her character to be the most troubled one. Of, well, yeah, definitely yeah. The most troubled. Yeah, but people hate her. People I'm hate not a fan of her. She's essential uh, to the movie. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think they realize that the reason why she left. Uh, Forrest Gump mm-hmm. was because uh, Jenny as a character had been sexually assaulted yep. uh, throughout her childhood. I mean, mm-hmm. she had a shitty she childhood. She was abused, she, had a terrible father. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And now, so the, the scene where she has sex with uh, Forrest mm-hmm. is essentially her, she realizes while in the middle of having sex with Forrest that she's taken advantage of someone that can't really fend for themselves. Yeah. And so she's so disgusted with herself that she has to leave. Yep. And that would spark sort of the whole jenny bullshit that keeps happening throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. and people don't think about that people don't think about the motivation behind her leaving mm-hmm. and they give her a lot of shit uh but jenny was one of the like the she had she was fine she had good motivation to do what she did she was She's definitely a, she needed. Was, it was shit it was shitty yeah i'm sure yeah but you know it wasn't like totally unmotivated no, no. but yeah. anyway we can save that for an episode of forrest gump <laughs> <laughs> but but to close it out, he yeah. said it was one of the truest concepts he's seen in, in film and how relatable it is to really? everyone, how to not put just so much pressure on yourself mm. and let shit come as it goes. Yeah, and that's, was, usually, that's yeah. what I've learned, too. Is that like the ignorance is bliss type thing? No, I think it's your ability to adapt into a situation. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. if you put a lot of pressure on yourself to succeed, to do something, yeah. uh, for example, like write a script, mm. if you put too much pressure on that, you're not going to get your ideas are not going to come out right. Everything's yeah. going to be puddled with the fact that you have to make this work. Yeah. But if you just kind of let it happen, you know, it happens a lot more intuitive. I see that. A lot better. Yeah. I, I learned that. I, I, I learned that a little while ago while writing too. Because I realized I wasn't writing to the level that I wanted. And then I just kind of let my stories become the thing that they wanted to become instead mm. of wanting to push them into something. I know we have, you know, a topic we want to talk about. Yeah. But I want to ask you, what... I ask writers this because mm-hmm. I'm always very curious. Like, I'm trying to get more into writing. Yeah. What would be advice for you? Like, how do you get fucking do it? Just write. The only advice it. is to do the it. The only advice we can. People say it all the time. People are like, oh no, you just have to write. And mm-hmm. we all think that's kind of shitty because it's like a non-advice. Mm-hmm. But there's no other, you know, way to do it. You just anything have to get up Anything in particular? And write. Just anything? Just, just your just daily start. life? Just yeah. start anything. The, just start uh, putting words on the paper. Neil Gaiman, one of my favorite authors, mm-hmm. gave me gave some great advice. I met him in Seattle. Yeah. And he said two things to me. He said, keep writing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you'll get somewhere. He just looked at me and said, keep writing. Yeah. So that was the first thing that he said to me. And then I saw an interview. Um, with him or he was doing a commencement speech mm. and he said listen half the time you're not I'm paraphrasing but half the time you're not going to know what you're doing mm. you're going to know where you're doing it or how you're doing it that's okay you have to, you can just pretend to be someone that knows what they're doing and eventually you will learn what you're doing mm. right so I feel that sounds really sort of like mystical and weird fucking bullshitty advice but it helps if you just keep doing it and you tell yourself I'm a writer 
if you do that shit every day, you're not an aspiring writer. Mm-hmm. You're not an aspiring filmmaker. If you wake up and you do that shit every day and you think about it every goddamn day, you're a writer. You're yeah. a filmmaker. You're not an aspiring anything. If you write, you write. If you're a filmmaker, you filmmake. If you make music, you're a musician. That's yeah. it. If you get that mindset in your head as soon as you start doing the things, your chances of success are a lot higher. Yeah. Because you're not on a, con- on, a, on a condition of failure. You're always in a condition of success. I'm a writer. Yeah. I'm not going to be a writer. I'm a writer. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a musician. I'm an author. That kind of stuff. You, the best advice that I can give you is really start writing and then get rid of any preconception that you think would makes a good writer. The only thing that makes a good writer is that a writer writes. That's it. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, like I would, I, I did practice last month writing every day. You know, yeah. I wanted to make an, a point to write something every day. And it was just kind of about my, you know, my daily life. Yeah. Even what if was it's going shit. on. And I wanted to know, I just, I find it difficult to transition from talking about everyday life to maybe writing about something creative. Fabricates your everyday life. You know, so like, all right, say a situation happens in my real life that I see, but then I'm like, oh, it would have been funny if this would have happened, you know, but it didn't really happen. But it's like, I'm like, that would have been funny had that happened. That's a whole scenario and a jumping off point for writing. And that's all that I do in my life. Also, one thing I noticed, I I tried it out because I saw like some writing advice online where... Uh, just go to a public place mm-hmm. and just people it's, watch. Mm-hmm. That's great. And like, I wonder what, I wonder what they're thinking right now. Yep. She looks kind of mad. <laughs> She's got her kid with her. Maybe there's some a, some a troubling marriage going on. You yeah. Know, it was just, yeah. So that was really good advice. But yeah, yeah, thank you guys. I've been wanting to ask you. No, no, that, that's one of the most important things. I know we, I know we've been over time, but I wanna, I wanna like sort of push this thing home, because every so long, I'm not one to give advice. I'm not a successful writer yet. I'm not a successful filmmaker in terms of like what standard of success. But one thing that people ask me all the time is that. It's like, how do you know you're a good writer? How do you know you're a good filmmaker? And I was like, you don't. You really don't know how good you are until you're out there and people are telling you how good you are. So for the first... I don't, I don't even know if you can trust that. Yeah. People I, telling you how good you are. You just have to believe in yourself. Because there's yeah. a lot of shit producers, directors, actors, and writers that people are telling them that they are good and they are not. And they're not you know, good. It's that belief in yourself, really. Yeah. So really all it comes down to is I can tell you that you're a good writer all day long. Yeah. But if you think you're not a good writer then you're not going to be a good writer. Exactly. That's it. That's good. So yeah. as long as you get past that sensation of being like, oh, writing's hard, writing's, you know, I don't know what to write about, I don't know what to do that, it doesn't matter. You can write about someone, like, fucking getting hit in the head with a block of cheese. <laughs> as long as you write it, you'll eventually find a way to make it funny, make it sad, make it however you want it. Mm-hmm. Writing is a powerful, powerful tool, and it's like it's like anything. you got to learn how to use it. And you learn how to use it by, by uh, you learn how to use it by using it, really. That's the only thing. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're going to have uh, Professor Lon Bumgartner. He's going to be uh, our guest, and he's going to go over script writing, lots of things like that. So, I mean, yeah. staying on that same topic, you'll have a whole hour and a half, two hours next week for that. Yeah. So it's going to be That's awesome. That'll be cool. Hell yeah. Anyway, we went a little bit over time on the intro. Longest uh, intro in the history of life. <laughs> but it was pretty awesome. It was awesome. Um, so, we're going to take a little break, regroup. I got to pee, as usual. Party time. And uh, we'll be back with the body. We're going to talk about motherfucking Stanley Kubrick. Yes. Probably the most genius oh filmmaker God. in Hollywood in terms of, like, n- renown. Sure. K- Kubrick's the most renowned director, isn't he? Mm. Is that his name pop out the most? I don't, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know? We're, we're going to go really around the table. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think um, so. Huh. I'm I think bo- there's there's names that people recognize more than him. Uh, I, I guess if you're like a that's right, student of film. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Yeah.
uh, we'll get right on that. Here's some music for you. Yes, yes. Everything else is funny, but until they hear like this one topic that Bobby Burr, they like they that they are close that they are passionate about, and he insults it. They just like, I, I especially about religion, like he will. No, yes, he goes another thing. Yeah. He, he he will rip you a new one if you get onto him about religion. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Christians get so fucking wrapped up in their own. Uh, views that they I thought people kind of got over it like with uh, Louis C.K. Well he gets like he'll, he'll read like hate mail what he gets <laughs> it's like people are just goes you'll never be able to please everyone we should start like writing or soliciting for hate mail that's how we know we've made it <laughs> <laughs> when that happens we're fucking in and I'm like oh, this is it uh, this yeah. is the top like we're made, we've made it <laughs> I think I think I think that it's super interesting to see the kind of people that get pissed off at you for saying shit to a mic because oh, yeah. it's always the same kind of people that get angry at you. Yeah. And it's it's hilarious every time. Yeah. All right. So that was a good pee. Jus <laughs> <laughs> ready. You ready, Jonathan? Yep. All right. Sweet. Oh, we're already recording. Look at that. Ready? Yep. Cool. So welcome back to the For Film's Sake podcast. You probably heard me talk shit about Bill Burr or something. Uh, but welcome back. Uh, we're here with Jonathan again. And Chris, and we're going to talk about Kubrick. They're yes. still here. They haven't left. It was a, it's been like 15 seconds, so they haven't really left. They don't know. It could have been years for all they know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm six years older. <laughs> it's like, no. We are, we are growing beards, and our the knees wonder, don't work yeah. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I dropped um, out of film school. cutting it. I'm just a service to you guys. Fuck <laughs> 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 film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just to keep the continuity going. Just wanted to be a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about? We are talking about fucking Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Kubrick. He's your favorite director, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Definitely. He's up there. Yeah, yeah. He's up there for sure. Hell he's yeah. he's one of my. He's not my favorite, but he's definitely one of my favorite directors. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure who that is actually. Uh, my favorite director? No, Stanley Kubrick. Oh, goddamn it! No, <laughs> I, I, agree, I agreed to do the podcast, but I didn't say I knew who Stanley Kubrick was. <laughs> So, <laughs> you're not really aware of Stanley Kubrick? No, I'm not. Really? No, like, really. Like, do you know what are some movies that you've seen from him? Um, what was it? A uh, Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> you know that? Um, a Wild Wild West Part Two. That was he was in that one. <laughs> no, <laughs> I could have sworn. There's but a yeah. whole film community out there. Like, <laughs> Get him off, please. Who do the it fuck now? is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Why is he hosting a podcast about film? <laughs> no, I'm I'm, I'm aware. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, fully aware. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Kubrick is one of my favorite directors. Yeah. He's, he's not my favorite, but he's definitely up there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that I didn't like this movie. I, didn't, I did not like Clockwork Orange. What? But mm. it was one of the most amazing movies I've seen. Yeah. But I did not like Clockwork Orange. It's disturbing, man. Yeah. It's okay. not even because of that. It was just like. What is it about? A Clockwork Orange that you don't like. It's a sort of the narrative structure that's going on in this movie. That it's just weird, sort of super. It looks like a stylized version of the real world where nothing really makes a lot of sense in the way that it's portrayed. That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, I know, and and I I like the way that it does that. I like the way that it presents yeah. itself. Yeah. But the storyline for me was just kind of like it almost had no sort of real conclusion to me. It, it mm. almost it was it was nothing. I. I I feel like 
when you watch a Stanley Kubrick movie, it's a very visceral experience. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really makes you think about, he really explores like the dark side mm-hmm. of human nature. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's even quote, I think I have a quote from him. He said that, you know, feelings are more important than intellect. People go to the movies in order to have some kind of intensive experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, it, I think it, it personifies that extremely yeah. well. I mean, I, every time that you watch a Kubrick movie, yeah. it's never, you're never sort of thinking about the movie itself. You're just kind of always going through like an emotional roller coaster that he wants you to go through. Yeah. Which is like why I admire him as a director so much, the fact that he can do that. And the fact that he's relentless enough to work to that during a production to the point of doing a take 127 times. Relentless. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a uh, there's a, something I found there. It said they did two weeks of ADR. You know, they had to record some more stuff afterwards. Uh, Kubrick and McDonald, McDowell, the uh, the star of the, the movie. It's just talking about clockwork? Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. Uh, two weeks of ADR after the, the movie was already over in post. So for those two weeks, McDowell and Kubrick, they were in there in the editing room doing their ADR. And between sessions, they would play ping pong to just kind of take their mind off everything. <laughs> it took them two weeks to get it finished. And after the two weeks, McDowell said he was only paid for one week. And he Damn. questioned Stephen, uh, Stanley Kubrick about it. He was like, yeah, I paid you one week for the, uh, for the ADR, and I'm not paying you for the ping pong. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> this guy. He he really was he really was a force to be reckoned with in terms of like what making a movie meant. Yeah. Um. But Clockwork. Let's start with Clockwork. What what, what was his first movie? Like his first major hit was it Clockwork? His first like major motion picture. Yeah. I think it was the the it's, killing. Like he the did killing. he did. Oh God, I'm gonna. I hope I'm not wrong. That's okay. Yeah. We're he did he time. did a lot of uh he did just like two documentaries. The thing was he got his start. Mm-hmm. It was like Spartacus. Um. Yeah. Mm, he was a. He was a photographer before anything. Oh, he yeah. was a photographer for Look Magazine. Ah. And part of like what you had to do at Look Magazines was create uh, phono, photo uh, photo essays, like okay. tell a story through mm. photos. So you can already kind of tell yeah. that's how he got his a start. Yeah, it, his all, start. All, all his stuff is very, like, like the imagery of his movies are much more impactful than any mm-hmm. dialogue that he's ever going to put in a movie. Yeah. But uh, I, I meant, like, I think with A Clockwork, I will go back to that in a second, like mm-hmm. his movies before that, but I think A Clockwork, like A Clockwork Orange is, it represents, like, uh, A Clockwork is, like, something mechanical, so mm-hmm. an orange is a fruit. Is it a fruit? It's a fruit, yeah, right? It's a fruit. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, you know, they always try to pull a fast one on you. Actually, it's a fucking vegetable. Oranges <laughs> yeah. are not vegetables. Yeah. You fucking uneducated. Yeah. So I just had to make sure. Yeah. So about as useless as a mechanical orange, and I guess yeah. that's what, uh, you know, he was maybe trying to say that that's what the government is trying to do mm. to the troubled youth. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like the, the idea of the movie, the fact that we're talking about, like, your loss of free will and mm-hmm. your loss of choice. Yeah. And, like, and by doing that, your loss of identity and all the stuff that make you you, mm-hmm. uh, how people can sort of take that away from you and strip you down from your humanity. Yeah. Like I get, I get all the concepts of that, and that's why I like the movie. That's why I think it's an amazing movie because it portrays that extremely well. Yeah. But there was something about the 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 story, the characters, the way that everything happens, or mm. like uh, it was it was absurd in a way that was like interesting to watch, but also in a way that didn't engage me in terms of like caring about the characters. I cared more about the concept of the movie. Yes, I than ca- I cared for anything about the movie yep. itself. I didn't care about yeah. any of the characters. I mean, it was just concept. Like for you me, didn't care about. Alex? No, Malcolm? no. I mean, here's the thing, because he was such a dick for so long in the movie. Like, because you got to get through 
you're gonna get through about 45 minutes or 50 minutes of Malcolm being just a complete asshole. Yeah. And by the time that I've seen him, I've just seen him do so many bad things that I just kind of want to see what happens to him, but mm. I'm not particularly invested in what happens to him. And not because he's a bad guy, it's just because he's such a polar extreme. I mean, we had to have balance. I mean, that's that's what it was about to me, uh, karma, balance, that yin and yang. You got to see how terrible he was at the beginning and then just not care at all about all the negative things that was happening to him because in our mind, he somewhat deserved it or brought it upon himself. You yeah. Know? So, I mean, so in a way, I think Kubrick is playing us by having us feel the same he way is. that that Malcolm felt about the rest of the world having us feel that way about Malcolm by, you know, sort of chastising him. I guess he doesn't really have anything redeemable about him even towards the end because, like, he starts to feel sorry, feel bad. Uh, I only think he regrets his actions because he gets, in, like, he gets physically ill yeah. whenever he... Yep. And, and that was the thing. So maybe he didn't really learn anything. He just kind of... Well, I think that what Kubrick was trying to say, because the ending of the movie is kind of ambiguous. I mean, I mm. think there's a mention of like... That's kind of all his movies. Yeah. Like, yep. Always up, open to interpretation. So I think what happened is that even though he went through all of that shit in order to like get the evil taken out of him, uh, at the end of the day, humans are still going to go back to their like initial nature. That's what I thought the movie yes, was trying to say. Yes, that's exactly it. And I, I enjoyed the way they did that. I enjoyed the way he presented it. Mm. But for some reason, the movie doesn't hit home to me. Hmm. Um... I read a book where they talked about how Doctor Strange Love, two thousand one, mm. and A Clockwork Orange can be its own kind of trilogy. Right. It's a uh, interesting it uh, how you know two thousand one uh, would be the second film, and I think humanity hasn't evolved. Uh, it's just become worse, I guess, and that's where Clockwork Orange starts because mm. there's right. just it's just riddled with crime and yeah. Uh, you kind of see the underside of human society. Because mm -hmm. in, in, we can stay on Clockwork Orange, but mm -hmm. in 2001, that is probably his, the, the movie that is open to interpretation the most. I mean, yeah. Of course. Yeah. You really have to wonder, like, what the fuck exactly. did I just watch? <laughs> yeah. Because he becomes... I, I feel like the monolith was... I'm pretty sure this is like a general consensus that mm -hmm. the monolith in the movie is there to show human... show us how to evolve as human beings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. um, you know, they show the bone to Moon... Uh, I think I think the ape's name is Moonwatcher. Mm. Um, the monolith kind of... I don't know how, but shows that, you know, hey, I can use this bone as a tool. To, mm -hmm. as a tool. Yeah. So, and that's also kind of Arthur C. Clarke who wrote 2001 simultaneously with Stanley Kubrick making the film. Yep. Mm -hmm. They kind of had the idea that, you know, man didn't make... Uh, the tools tools made the man right so that's very interesting yeah. um, and then but then you know they evolve into space and then after that the monolith like he becomes a star child mm -hmm. that's what mm -hmm. it was called and uh i guess the mon that the star child is used to that's the <laughs> thing i still think about it like i i guess to show help the next generation of humans evolve but it's a failure in some sort maybe and that's where a clockwork orange takes place mm -hmm. um you know because it appears like it's a very dystopian kind of futuristic place but they use it doesn't really look yeah the style isn't very futuristic yeah it's still kind of the same grungy kind of uh world but uh and there's riddled with crime yeah yeah 
I think mm-hmm. what you were saying, how uh, Kubrick just has like a visceral experience whenever you uh, watch anything from him. 2001, no dialogue in the first 25 minutes or last 23. That's exactly the same note that I made when I fucking watched the movie. Yeah. I was like, no one's saying anything. I no am thoroughly invested in whatever the hell is and happening. He, and he does it flawlessly. You're just, I'm entranced. Every time I yep. watch anything by him, it's just, it's captivating. Um, even in uh, Clockwork Orange, I, I enjoyed how, I don't know, it's just another thing that's so admirable mm. about him is his directing style. Mm. Because in, in a Clockwork Orange, they like a lot of bad shit was happening in that mm-hmm. movie, but it was played behind you know really beautiful music, right? Or, or really beautiful images, like yeah. the when the gang members are, are attempting to rape that girl. It's under like a picture of roses and stuff, and it's just yeah the juxtaposition of, of that those sort two, of beautiful yes, and, and like the, the Beethoven. You always heard Beethoven, like they're right. fighting each other and, and playing. Symphony Number no. Nine. This I think so he's funny. responsible for my favorite sort of juxtaposition of feelings. Mm-hmm. Okay. When he's singing, uh, I'm singing in the rain, rain. Mm-hmm. yes, and kicking the old man. That was improv. Uh, yeah, which was uh, makes it even more amazing because yeah. it's probably my favorite scene out of Fuck We're Corn. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm singing in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that's my favorite. Thing and it's not even does. like the things that happen in that movie. They're not even. There's no really grotesqueness. There's no blood really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just so real. Like, wow, that can actually happen. These people can break into my home, assault me, rape my wife, and, just and he away. he just tapped into that that terror. Yeah, like that very real terror that we have still today. Yeah, uh, I found was, the movie to be. You mentioned that the movie wasn't grotesque or anything like. That. I found the movie to be sort of comically vulgar. <laughs> No, it was. Uh, you know, you're sort of like yeah. using dirty... Because he uses a lot of sex imagery in Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. specifically. And he uses that to sort of... I don't I think he uses it to make you uncomfortable. Sure. Really. That's all he does. I think that the sex imagery in Clockwork Orange is used purely for discomfort's sake, to put you on your toes, to... Like, the, the lady that gets killed, she gets killed with a giant ceramic giant. penis. Oh, yeah. And every time, like, he did the, the, the head shot, mm-hmm. every time the, the penis made contact with her yeah. head... It would. It wouldn't show like. It would just show a brief flash of a painting on the wall right. of a really suggestive painting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was just. It was interesting. He's. Yeah. Just it, to have that kind of thought when you're <laughs> making a movie, it's just so I'm, awesome. I mean, it's it, just so cool. They to said think it took him like six that. days to do a one minute sex scene. I'm not surprised. Six days. No. I mean, this guy may have been a little anal, maybe a little narcissistic, but it looks like he was a genius at the same time. <laughs> That's the thing. You know? Like a lot of a lot of people go. Like good directors are usually kind of assholes, mm. uh, from what I've seen. Or like good artists are usually kind of assholes. Mm. And I think that it comes a little bit with the territory. Somewhat. Of you I know, don't know, man. If yeah, if you got a vision and you also have time and you have a budget, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to. We're on my time. Like, let's go. Let's get it done. I want it this way. Yeah. Mm. I, I so. think that is his ability to not compromise when he wanted an image yeah. is, is purely what. Yeah. So it is like he had most. a time constraint probably, but he was not going to be satisfied until it was exactly the way he wanted it to yeah. be. Oh, yeah. Um, but apart from Clockwork Orange, I think Clockwork Orange is a great movie. Mm-hmm. I don't like the plot of the movie, mm-hmm. but everything that the movie does for me is extremely well done, and it, it works for what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. But the, the actual plot of the movie for me feels a little weird or not just i'm just not super into it and What's i mean it had a you know it had a big effect on people yeah it, yeah it had to get pulled from england because people were there were copycat clockwork gang people mm-hmm. uh it, it essentially became kind of like propaganda i think that's kind of what all movies are they sure kind yeah. of 
yeah. make us feel and think great movies make us feel and think a certain way so what did you think about Oz Watch Up that one is probably my favorite really that's his biggest box office hit really out of all of his movies that is his biggest blockbuster it hit. took about three times to I feel like if you're any any art any film student should watch great movies like that mm-hmm. multiple times to fully understand but that that is also open to interpretation and it it also deals with ties into the human nature uh kind of in a through sexual relationships yeah. and i feel like have you both seen eyes wide shut oh, i have yeah. not yeah. Yeah. i have not um, seen it no. basically tom cruise's character tom cruise and nicole, nicole kidman, kidman who are actually married in real life at the time play mm-hmm. a couple and nicole kidman reveals to him that about a year ago she almost cheated on him mm-hmm. so he goes through this in the course of one night, <laughs> goes through the most crazy exper- like experience. But I believe that everything that he goes through didn't actually happen. Uh, we don't know if it did or not. I don't know, do you? I, th- I think you got to really think about it because it's called Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. And I think when that was revealed to him, he kind of was, he just kind of explored his sexual subconscious where. He explored all of his fantasies yeah. and all of his fears, mm-hmm. and I guess his fears were, you know, well, his fantasies were, you know, like sex with a prostitute, sex mm-hmm. with a uh, a widow, yeah. um, group sex, mm-hmm. and um, and then I think he had there was this fear also of him being, you know, afraid that these fantasies might come to light, yeah. and that is kind of displayed through the orgy scene where he is exposed. Mm-hmm. Where like he's made out to be a pretender. Yeah. So, I think I, that's, I think it. I don't really think it actually happened. The eyes wide shut thing was just like openly not acknowledging your fears. To me, it's like you, you're, you're. He's acknowledging everything else that's going on in his life, and how does he not know the things that Nicole Kidman is telling him already? You know, it. To, for me, it, it felt like you're you you already know what's going on in your life and everything that's going on around you, and you're choosing to openly be ignorant to it. Or to, to not face whatever fear that you have in life, period, you know? So when he finally opened his eyes to that, then it changed him completely. And Kubrick had a way of showing that. And it's it's very radical. I mean, he's showing it through orgies. He's showing it through a masquerade ball with everyone marrying, wearing masks. And, I mean, it's damn right spooky at, at times. You know? I think it's interesting uh, that we were talking about a lot of sex imagery that Kubrick uses. Because mm-hmm. I think, I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shot. Mm-hmm. Do you have a Blu-ray player? I do. Yeah, I'm gonna let you borrow it. Right, I have sweet. it on Blue Gray. Cool. I'll, I'll take to, it. You need to have it. Um, the the interesting thing about sort of Kubrick's sexual imagery and like the way that he he uses that that to make you like mildly uncomfortable or mm-hmm. creep you out or or have any emotional feeling is that I think he wants his audience to admit that they're perverts. Mm. I think that by using all of that, we imagery, all yeah, we all got you everybody know, does yeah dirty yeah. little secrets. Yep. Or we all, we all have our thing, and we're mm-hmm. sort of perverted in our own way. Mm-hmm. And I think Kubrick does a really fantastic job at making you admit that. Yeah. Whether it's in Clockwork Orange with the penis hitting the lady in the face, mm-hmm. which it's a fucked up scene, but yeah. admit it, it's kind of funny in the way that he presents it. Yeah. So he wants you to acknowledge that whatever I think he wants you to acknowledge that whatever it is that you're thinking is a basic human instinct and yes. he wants you to admit it. Not just sex, but because, it but it is prevalent. Yeah, because <laughs> initially we are afraid, you know, to have our inner truths revealed yeah. and that's presented through the the scene with the cult. Yeah. You know, he, he he's under a disguise. Mm-hmm. So I just think uh where was I going? 
Yeah, that <laughs> this happens a lot. I mean, um, maybe, maybe it did never happen. I mean, but like no. I said, the, there's everything so nebulous and ambiguous with uh, Stanley Kubrick. You re- never really know what he wants you to take from it from the end. But that's like the key of a great artist to yeah. make me think about something. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's why I think Kubrick is, is like one of my favorite directors. Just yeah. Because his ability to make me go like, all right, well, I just saw that and I don't know how I feel about it. I'm going to have to process it for the next 24 hours to see yeah. how I feel. Yeah. Not a lot of directors can do that. Yeah, uh, like Sally, he died within a bad. week after showing the studio his final cut of uh, of that movie. That, that movie, that. yeah, that movie holds the Guinness record of uh, consecutive days of shooting, four hundred days, four hundred days straight. Yeah, that's, like movies take a while, but like that's a year shoot, and a half. Pretty much. Shooting the movie, yeah. four hundred days. That's bananas. Yeah, the thing was at the start of Stanley Kubrick's career, he didn't even really get to fully express himself. He didn't have full artistic control. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had made, I think, the killing. Oh, mm. I really hate if I'm gonna be if I'm wrong, but he made the he made the killing, and Kirk Douglas, who was huge mm-hmm. in the '50s, uh, liked that movie and decided, "Hey, Stanley Kubrick, let's be uh, you <laughs> let's pump, be friends. Let's be friends." <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty, let's figure this I, shit out. I honestly credit Kirk Douglas to the start of uh, Stanley Kubrick's career. So they did they agreed to like a. Like a four-picture deal or five-picture deal where, you know, we will finance this stuff through, we'll do this these movies through my production company, Bryna Productions, I think was the name of Kirk Douglas's production company. company. Nice. So uh, he was saying, you know, I'll be in two of the movies. Just let me star in two of the movies okay. and I'll Who was, a, sorry, I don't mean to, who was Kirk Douglas? Kirk Douglas, Michael Douglas's father. Is that the one? Kirk Douglas is Spartacus. To- okay. Who was the uh, was he married to Goldie Hawn? I don't I don't know Kirk Douglas's backstory really. Mm. I'm but gonna it, look that up while you speak. That's dude, sick. he is 99 years old. Really? That dude's old as shit right now. He is 99. <laughs> Crazy. But uh, so yeah, I credit that, and I don't really think he. Yes, Goldie Hawn's uh, spouse. Really? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. He didn't really get his uh, chance to fully be his own person because Stanley um, Spartacus wasn't really his vision mm-hmm. either. Again, this is kind of like just some stuff that I've read and heard. It, it might not be entirely true, but just make it I, up. It's, it's that's cool. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's a secret to like saying whatever you say, Said like you know what the fuck you're saying, and people will not question you. They're not going to fact check it. Yeah, and if they do, fuck them. Yeah, we'll just <laughs> give them your Twitter and your email, yeah. <laughs> and they can come hound your ass. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> Please send all hate mail to Jonathan Smathers <laughs> at uh, gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Spartacus, I know he kind of wrote bits of the script, but that wasn't really his thing. Yeah. And I think it kind of dissolved. The relationship dissolved uh, after Spartacus. And then he uh, went and did Lolita. I didn't see that one. I have not seen Lolita, mm. Lolita, but I pretty much know wh- exactly what happens. And the thing was, you know, he's credit what Stanley Kubrick does in pretty much all of his movies is he adapts a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has been known to that completely. Was, wait, was this one based on the Fire on My Loins, Light on My Life novel, Lolita? Uh, it was based off the move, the book of the same name okay. um, by Nobokov. Mm. I don't remember yeah. his. I think okay. his name's Nabokov, Nobokov. Mm. But uh, you know. In the book, um, it's more of a perverted kind of relationship. The, 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 the general story is about a man that 
kind of falls in love with a young girl. Yeah. And I think in the book, she's like six years old. Yeah, she's pretty young in the book. But in the movie, he made her like 16 years old. Also to get it past censors. Yeah. Because, you know, kind of need to. And they made they made Lolita look more adult yeah. and stuff. So that was interesting. And uh, it was more of a romantic. He made it more of a romance film, Stanley Kubrick did, instead of a... Of a uh, and he also added humor to it, too. Right. Yeah. But that was all just to kind of get it past censors. But uh, again, then we're seeing a, another perverse thought, another perverse storyline that he mm-hmm. wants you to admit mm-hmm. that kind of works. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Like, he, he, I think Kubrick punches you in the face with this facts of that make you incredibly uncomfortable. And then he doesn't stop hitting you with them until you admit that you have them. I mean, he wants you to explore. I mean, he's just exploring the human mind and the psyche in every film so far. Mm-hmm. And like we were talking about adaptations and screenplays that was adapted from a book, that the Ske- Stephen King, The Shining. The Shining, which is the one I was going to bring up next. That's my favorite, The Shining. Uh, one yeah. of my favorite movies, Jack, too. Jack Nicholson, Great Shelley movie. Duvall. Great yeah. movie. Horrible adaptation, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard. It was not faithful to the book at all. Horrible adaptation. Yeah. It like, might as well not have been an adaptation. Yeah. Exactly. Like he didn't adapt the, the book. He wrote his <laughs> own version of The Shining and the, shot a movie. The thing was, like, Jack Nicholson looks like a fucking psycho in general. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it doesn't really feel like this big change when Stanley Coop, when Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson's character becomes crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, cause he already looks fucking crazy. I mean, the way that he looks, but I mean, like think about the time, like he was a big movie star and you know, it's like when you're looking at him, it's a likable person already. So he doesn't have, no matter what he looks like, you're not thinking about him as a villain. You're mm-hmm. thinking about, that's the guy that I liked in the movie that I just seen last week, you know? But I, I think it's interesting that we see Jack Nicholson go from the good husband and father mm-hmm through the sort of murderous piece of shit that he became at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. But again, with sort of the perverse thought, the explore the darkness of you, like Should it's it. always there. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of like, if you let it manifest or if, or if it comes out, or if it comes out of you. In and the book, Stephen King, I've been talking to my girlfriend about this mm-hmm. because she read the book and she loves it. Um, she basically kind of was telling Your me Your girlfriend that, knows how to read? Yeah, dude. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> Oh, Women God. can read. I'll tell you Next what. Next at five. <laughs> that got me so off guard. I was just like, wait, what the fuck happened? It's insane. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren, yeah. if she and, listens. And, and women in general, I guess. Huh? Yeah. I don't know. God damn it. I'm just saying. Chris, you just dug us into a huge so, fucking hole. Um, so I'll head now. should go to Chris Lucky at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh man! I mean, who? Who? I mean, what, what, what's going to happen? I mean, they can't write us in. I mean, if they can't read, I'd assume <laughs> that they wouldn't be able to write either. You know? So what kind of trouble am I going to get in here? Fuck! I'd have to assume they'd be completely illiterate, right? All right, we got to shut down the podcast. Uh, it's been great, guys. I'm glad I got to be on here for the last episode, <laughs> the series finale. <laughs> oh man. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Yeah. Oh, all right. Back on topic. Um, Shelly Duvall. <laughs> Speaking of women. <laughs> no, but uh, Shelly Duvall, she said that um, oh, that she, Kubrick she, she pushed got, her Yeah, She got farther. treated like shit on set, dude. Yeah. Yes. Intentionally. He, intentionally, yeah. To draw it out of her. She said she got pushed further than any other director had ever pushed her, especially on the uh, the scene where they're going up the stairs and she's swinging the bat at Jack Nicholson. Yeah, that was like 100 something takes. 127 takes. 
That's for a, that one scene. It's a famous, uh, even if it takes 127 takes, I'm going to get the shot. He's going to get it. I've, yeah. I've seen behind-the-scenes footage. Watch the behind-the-scenes footage of The Shining, and you will see Shelley Duvall is sitting on a couch, and mm-hmm. she's literally pulling out clumps of hair. Yeah. And she's, like, handing it to Stanley. She's like, look, my hair's falling out. And mm-hmm. Stanley's like, Stanley looks at the hair, and then he kind of looks at his whole crew, and he's like, all right, no one feels sorry for Shelley. <laughs> Immediate. <laughs> what nope. a dick. Yeah. But, I mean, he was what, a what, super what, asshole. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's but the trend that I've seen. Work to get that performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I feel super bad for Shelley, but I mean that's the best performance I've ever heard of her. That but is the best. Performance. In the in the book, um, I think Jack's character has like uh, a lot of drug issues and alcohol Alcoholism, issues, yeah. and I don't think that's brought up too much in the film. I, he he seems like a bit of an alcoholic. Yeah, but but I guess the book in the was film a, they only have a passing. He they, they're at the, the bar mm-hmm. and they goes like, "If you can feel whatever," and he was like, "I don't drink." That's yeah. pretty much as far as it goes. Yeah. So she kind of made it seem like maybe he was encountering his his demons in the book. Yeah, because um, mm-hmm. also Stephen King also had drug and alcohol problems. So right, it kind of ties into him. I think that Kubrick took what was a really good book about sort of facing your own demons and made it about accepting your own sort of darkness. Yeah. Right? And the darkness like rep is personified through this kind of like demon yeah. spirit that just kind of takes over you. And yeah, and the shining is one of my favorite, I mean the imagery in the shining for me is incredible. Yeah. And one of my favorite things that Kubrick does in the shining is the, the long, the, the, the cross assault. Mm. He, um, he takes one scene and then he fades it out and across the soul with another scene. Mm. But this transition is so long that the two scenes merge into one picture at one point. And you can see elements from the previous scene turning into the elements that are going to be in the next scene. Oh, yeah. So there's one point in the movie where they're like in sort of like a, in the hotel lobby. Mm. And there's um, people standing, talking, and people walking around the this, this set. Yeah. And there's like a couple of like four people standing in the background. Yeah. And then he starts doing the cross assault, and then those people turn into luggages. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And, and it seems really stupid thing to, like, notice, That's really. Dope, but what that tells you is, like, there's been a passage of time. People are no longer there. Now they're the only ones in the hotel room. And it's a really effective way to tell your audience that they're alone now. Yeah. yeah. And Thomas he does Pest. it so, so fucking subtly and, and mm-hmm. so masterfully crafted yeah. that if you weren't looking for directorial stuff you'd be like ah oh, fuck it that was just a cross no one cares yeah um and and that's why i love kubrick that's why kubrick for me is 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 incredible the scene about the other uh, what you're saying about passage of time when mm-hmm. they're showing jack and he's down there um typing away yeah. and, you know we just seen after seeing him typing 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 like what the fuck is this guy typing you right. know like maybe he has this whole book written at this point <laughs> yeah. and then when you finally get to see like 50 pages of all work and no play makes johnny a dull <laughs> and unhappy boy supposedly Kubrick wrote did all every that. single it's like one. a rumor a rumor yeah like he, he typed just, he typed all that yeah. but I'm like that's so him yeah. <laughs> he's the only one that would do that yeah like that is completely insane but the fact that you're a genius we're letting you get away with that <laughs> that movie that movie's interesting because I think it has I think there's always some hidden hidden meanings hidden mm-hmm. messages in his movies and yeah. I mean they even made a documentary about right. room 237 something like about that about it being about the fuck not being possible yeah, like they're that's that, and they, they're I think they bring up how it's like it could somehow tie into um, concentration camps, and it's, oh, wow. it's, it's crazy. People get crazy with it because but yeah, there's the rule that he might have like he might have orchestrated helped orchestrate the uh, Apollo Eleven moon land, moon. yeah, and um, that's the, hogwash. Which, by the way, okay. <laughs> and that's his way of apologizing because nope. But he, you gotta think he's I so, won't have it. but he's so particular mm. in what's in his films, like what's in each shot. Yeah. What the characters holding, what they're wearing, and Danny's wearing an Apollo Eleven 
sweater. Mm. Right. So he's and like, he knows what he's doing. But here's the thing, mm. right? All of those people that spout the theories, mm-hmm. you start listening to them, and you're like, ah, oh, no, that's bullshit. And then you sort of start listening to them, and you're like, mm. well, maybe. Maybe this makes sense. But then uh, about the, the Apollo moon landing thing, there's, and I'm just going to say this because mm. I'm tired of hearing from people that actually think it, that mm. the Apollo moon landing was fake. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fucking fake, okay? There's an Indian satellite that caught the fucking landing, uh, the landing location mm. of the goddamn Apollo. All right, so we have photographic evidence from a satellite that's not American, mm. that's not British. It's an Indian fucking satellite. Yeah. All right. There's picture that there's pictures that prove that the Apollo landed on the moon. Right. So while it is a really cool theory and the fact that The Shining can do that to a bunch of people, I think that. And I get angry at it because it does a disservice to science as a whole. Uh, yeah. You say that. Uh, yeah. I know he got he got interviewed. Yeah. There was like an interview that surfaced of Stanley Kubrick saying, yeah, it was all orchestrated. But I also am questioning whether that's actually Stanley Kubrick because it's an old looking guy. It yeah. looks kind of like him. It's just like, yeah, I, I helped. Uh, I helped film the uh, the moon landing. I'm just coming out here and saying it. Right. And that but would it never happen. Like, it didn't look like him. Yeah. That would never like happen. Yeah, uh, if he actually that would never happen. No, because that immediately so he's on a blacklist. He's interesting that. that he would think he knows what he's doing though. Yeah, like he, he does. just puts that nope. in his movies. I'm not interested in this conspiracy theory whatsoever. Zero <laughs> percent interest <laughs> is but what I have. It's like, why would he do that though? I, I think it, it doesn't really matter. I, I think it doesn't matter. I don't think he ever did anything on purpose to relate to the moon conspiracy. Are you sure though? Because he, it's Stanley. Kubrick. It's Stanley like Kubrick, but even oh. Kubrick, but even oh. Kubrick will get his images. People will get his images distorted, mm. and people and the imagery in The Shining is very, very weird, very unique imagery that can mean pretty much anything that you want it to mean. Yep. Because it's The Shining. That's what The Shining is about. The Shining is about sort of discovering your own demons and looking too far into things and yeah. learning about things that you don't want to learn about. Yep. So like all that imagery, you can, you can totally translate it into whatever your own agenda is. And that's, that's actually why I like The Shining a lot. Um, that was really good, yeah. But uh, the, the moon landing thing is just a way for people to sort of to just manifest ridiculous ideas into the movie itself. Speaking um, of the moon landing, have you guys seen Full Metal Jacket? Uh, I have not. <laughs> Transition. Did you hear that segue? That shit was amazing. Um, I have no idea what that meant. I don't really. S- I, that one was that Kubrick too. Yeah, okay. yeah. That one is uh, my probably my least favorite. Are you serious? Yeah, dude. Full Metal Jacket. The base camp, the basic training. I went to the military the after that. Are yeah. the best. Hell yeah. Afterwards, it loses me a little. Okay, I can see that. The basic training stuff is so good with Vincent Dionforio. They actually had to go through real basic training before to train for the movie. Actual basic training. I yeah, mean, everything is very on point. Uh, but when he, I, I've only seen the movie like two times. But when he was in the bathroom and he's like, "Hello, oh, Joker," yeah. he's yeah. just like sitting on the toilet, looking through his eyelids. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got that eyebrow gaze. Uh, um, this um, scary man. Scary. It, it's super scary. I mean, it's a <laughs> military movie. And eventually, the guy that he's talking about, he flips out. There's a there's a drill sergeant, and he's just getting spoilers. In. Oh yeah, spoiler. Nineteen eighty. I like the little lisp at the end of spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. If you haven't seen this, nineteen eighty seven, then it's a little too late for you, I guess. Yeah. A couple a couple decades. Yeah. yeah but um, no excuse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, there's a dick drill sergeant that's just getting in everybody's face, giving it to him. My favorite quote from him is like, uh, I bet you're the kind of guy that will fuck a person in the ass and not have a goddamn common courtesy to give him a reach around. <laughs> I have seen this movie. Yes. Yeah. 
You know? I have seen this. <laughs> I guess didn't that movie? Doesn't that movie just really just kind of explore the brutality of war? I mean, not I mean, it's, the decisions we face because they don't don't they kill some innocent people. It's it's exploring the same thing that Shining was for me. You know, with Jack Nicholson being isolated in this large hotel and then his mind just wandering and going completely insane. Now we're looking at someone that's in a completely different environment in basic training and having everything you've ever known about life thrown away and being broken down to nothing. And what are you as a person now? And some people were able to deal with that differently. And then you've seen what the worst version of that was. The guy that was in the bathroom with the gun. This is my gun. There are many like it, but this one is mine. And You know what I mean? It's just like completely going crazy. Just going into human psyche. Do you think it kind of, he's maybe, Stanley's maybe sending a message to what the military is really like? Like you're the, you're, you're the military guy. So do you think that not, maybe it kind of shows that. Not the military is like what people are like. But like what the military can do to people. I mean, what it can, what it, the effect it can have on a person's. Psyche. Psyche, yeah. Like, look what it did to some people. Maybe he's trying to say that. I mean, but here's sure. some people can shrug it off. I, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it, it is the military. I mean, but I think it's even bigger than that. Yeah, it it's, is. It is bigger, it's bigger than sure. the military. I mean, it's just these are human beings that are harassing other human beings. Mm-hmm. And just the format that we're looking at it in mm-hmm. is the military. Right. You know, but I mean, regardless of what that industry is that people are going to be abusing other people, we're still going through the psyche of this individual A and individual B. You know? And again, I know that I've said this like two times already, but every time that you guys talk about a movie about Kubrick that I haven't seen, the underlying thing that I'm seeing is again sort of that perverse thought of humanity, mm. sort of the, the dark side of human nature. Yeah. If I had to, if I had to describe his movies in one sentence, it is the dark side of human nature. Yeah, and I, oh. I think it's fascinating that even the movies that I haven't seen all deal with this sort of theme of the fact that people are inherently not not inherently shitty, but they have the the inherent power to be, yeah, like, not necessarily to be like, the dark side. Yeah, yeah. not necessarily evil. And when we say dark, just kind of yeah, just uh, controversial think, things. He just mm. brings up those. Yeah, and he brings them in a way that you really have no choice but to think about them. Yeah, and I, I, I it's just interesting to me to see that a director has such a thematic, uh, you know, consistency. Oh yeah. Once um, again, you know, another novel, and I don't really think he, because uh, I know when he made um, when Lolita came out, he asked Nobokov to, you know, hey, you know, Nobokov said, hey, it's my movie, I'm going to write the screenplay, and mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick said, like, yeah, this is shit, I'm going to write, this, <laughs> I'm going to write the screenplay myself. Mm-hmm. So it pretty much became his own movie. Right. And um, I don't really know what uh, Full Metal Jacket. If I know it was it a film, it, it, it had have to have been, been a, a novel. It yeah. was, yeah. It might have been a book. Yeah. But it was. I've noticed Adapted a trend where he okay, will cool. observe the text and really kind of uh, include it. some of it. Mm. But uh, he really, he really. Kind I of, think the thing that he's including from all those adaptations is the the, the main thematic core of, yeah. of the book. Yeah, like he 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 sort of acknowledges the work of art, yeah. the literature, whatever. And I was like, okay, so that's what this is about. Now I'm gonna write my own thing based on what this is about. Mm. And I think that's why they work because they're adaptations, but they're not really adaptations. Yeah. They're just taking the concept of another piece of work and translating into another medium. Mm. And I think that's why it worked because when you see directors trying to do adaptations, they get too worried with the details that are in the book that they want to translate into the movie. Mm. And Kubrick being like, no, fuck that. I just want the thing that's like the more important thing. The rest I'll add in myself and yeah. it'll make it my own vision. And I think that's why his, no one minds that Kubrick did a lot of adaptations. Whereas if you were to put any other director in Kubrick's shoes today, he's doing just adaptations, they'll be like, hey, fuck you, stop doing the adaptation. <laughs> uh, so I think that Kubrick got away with it because he didn't take 
the novel and try to do it yeah. justice. Plus, like, yeah, I mean, he does adapt novels, and I know that's a big issue mm-hmm. today where people don't really like to see an, a novel. Yeah. Adapt, adapt it to the screen because mm-hmm. they feel like they're going to shit all over it and stuff. And, and we will. And uh, But it's, a, it's the way that it's done, really. Because mm-hmm. uh, we're never going to get another Kubrick, really. Uh, Kubrick's probably one of a kind, at least for a couple of hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, today, movie directors, they just want to make a quick buck with an adaptation of a novel. Some right? of them, yeah. Um, most most novel adaptations, I think, have been have been pretty. I want to see most. That's it's like he adapt. He Stanley Kubrick will adapt a novel, and uh, but it's also how beautiful every film is. Yeah. I mean, a lot of credit oh, goes. Yeah. To, I even wrote the guy's name down because that's how un, uh, disregarded he is. He doesn't get enough credit at all. John Alcott is his DP for like four films. Or right, something you like shared that. his yes. uh, documentary. Some men, men I think, documentary I don't know. About I can't remember which films. He did, which I think he stopped after The Shining. I think Clockwork like Orange the, was one of them, right? Yeah, he did like from Strange Love to maybe uh, Clock uh, to uh, Shining. Shining. Yeah. He stopped right. right before Eyes Watch Shut. Yeah. Right. Okay. So he did. Yeah. Fantastic. Beautiful image, like Barry Lyndon. You know, not a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's long too, but it's so beautiful. So nice. he he's got he really also that's what also he really catches my eyes with. Uh, just visuals and uh, you can really also it ties into the dark side of human nature in his shots you can really see it's called the Kubrick it's even called the Kubrick stare Mm -hmm. in a lot of his movies Mm -hmm. you can just kind of see the inside like what a person is feeling Mm -hmm. through his use of just like having the person stare into the camera and stuff we got it in uh, Clockwork Orange at the very first scene the very first frame Uh, we got it in um 2001 yeah um, at the end when he's looking at the camera mm-hmm. when how like I'm afraid I can't let you do yeah, that I just, I like that's it. my favorite scene of any Stanley Kubrick <laughs> I can yes, feel how? it Dave a freaking red yeah. light and you're I like can I know it. that thing is evil right look at that that's just that's a that's just a, a light and I already I, I feel really scared so much Daisy. personality put into <laughs> <laughs> so much personality put into like a little thing on a wall and I think that's what 2001 is my favorite Kubrick movie. Okay. Um, just because every image is beautifully done. The technicality of some of those shots is incredible. Yeah. Uh, just the way it was done. Holy shit. Like, how do you. Before Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, this came out in you 68. Gotta, Star Wars was like 76. 77, yeah. 77, yeah. You oh, got to right. think, like, he, he had to have, George Lucas had to have gotten some sort of Inspired, inspiration. Yes. From, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and. But apart from that, the characterization of all these characters, the fact that you didn't really care mm. enough to like know the human crew, mm. you just they were just kind of a vehicle for Hall to interact with. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that Hall had dramatic moments, like he had close-ups, yeah, and he they treated him as a character and not as a device, mm-hmm. uh, was incredible to me. It, it fucking blew my mind. Yeah. And, he and had, then you know, it's just a red light, and you're just like, yeah, you, you know that thing is. It's a you it's get a, really scared, right? <laughs> it, and he does that through his storytelling, and it who, is terrifying. What, what other director or uh, screenwriter could you say that has uh, more than five movies out, and most of them don't have A-list actors? Only two of his movies have A-listers, Tom and Cruise. that's um, The Shining and um, Tom Cruise. Eyes Wide Shut. Yep, those are the only two. 
out of everything yeah. he's ever done. And they forced him to put Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman in that. He wanted another married couple, and they they wanted a bigger star, you know, to sell the movie. But and and this is uh, we're running out of time. Yeah. But this is a uh, talked about like how movies get made. Mm-hmm. Uh, you usually want a linchpin to a movie mm-hmm. to get the money for the movie so you can finance it, yep. which usually means sacrificing some sort of um, you know artistic integrity, artistic integrity to get a star to get in your movie so that people can fund it. Yeah. Right. And I think that it's interesting that he got so many movies done without that. Yeah. Um, based purely on his sort of track record. He wouldn't even let you read the script before you accept, accepted the job. <laughs> like seriously, Denzel Washington wanted to work with him, yeah. but he was like, I'm not going to do the movie unless I read the script first. Yeah. And it was like, no, you got to come to England. Cause he was afraid to fly. He yeah. wouldn't come to this day. anywhere. no, you got to come here, agree that you'll do the movie first. And then I'll let you read the script. Bad move yeah. for you, dude. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. and call me. Stanley Cooper calls me. I don't, I don't even need to know the name of the movie. I'm there, <laughs> exactly. Bro. Yeah. I'll do whatever you want. Anything. I'm there. All right. <laughs> but I mean, like, he, he's going to work your ass. Like, um, Tom Cruise, he said it was one of the most grueling experiences he had. And he got ulcers on the set of Oz Watch Shut, but was afraid to tell him about it. <laughs> you know? People get I, I hurt. Like, yeah, people yeah, get hurt in his I feel movies. like Kubrick's yeah. kind of like a dad that's mm-hmm. just kind of like, well, you're going to do this because I say you're going to do this. Yeah. And they're like, but I don't want to do that. And then Kruger's like, oh, fuck you. You're doing it. <laughs> like in A Clockwork Orange during the uh, the straitjacket scene and he's being shown these images and he's got his eyes clamped open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he at, at at some point Malcolm McDowell freaked out so much because he was constrained and his eyes were mm-hmm. open and he was just struggling and he ended up scratching his cornea. Damn. Like he scratched his eyes. Like literally, yeah, in real life. <laughs> So up. yeah, like you gotta commit when you go into his movies. Yeah. Definitely, there's you get physical. Yeah, for sure. Get physical, physical, <laughs> physical. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Kali What what is that? I don't know. I have no idea. We'll have it for you after the break. Um. Okay. So let's do our closing thoughts on Kubrick. What do you think? Uh, what What would you like to say to someone that hasn't watched Kubrick or hasn't experienced Kubrick in the way that you've done? So, um. I think if I, I guess from a film student perspective, it's essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to watch them um, to learn to really learn how to tell a great story uh, and, and do that through the use of the camera uh, and cinematography wise. But um, also, um, if you just are a regular fan of movies. I mean, I don't know what are you, what are you doing if you haven't seen a Stanley Kubrick movie? Yeah. Like, Not one of them. Like, come on. They're yeah. landmarks. I mean, they're amazing. Yeah. Uh, I just I don't really know what kind of advice I can th- think. But if you're a movie lover, you, you got to watch them. And yeah. You got to just explore one of the best directors that ever lived. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame. Um, you know, he died when he was like 80 years old. I really wonder what else could have happened. After that, you know, in the, in the in the twenty first century, what he could have come up with, um, but maybe it was just kind of his time. Because like, I know after Full Metal Jacket, it was like a twelve year break before he made another movie. So yeah. I guess it was just yeah. kind of maybe he kind of knew it was yeah. probably ending. So yeah. let me give you one last yeah. to say goodbye. But yeah, uh, final advice to anyone: uh, definitely just watch his movies and um, absorb them. Watch them five, ten times. Um, they're that- great. That's something that uh, that people that are not film students don't understand. Mm-hmm. Why we watch movies seven hundred times? 
And every time I have a conversation with someone, oh, yeah, no, I saw that movie. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I saw it like 16 times. I had to take notes on it. Mm. It's like, why the fuck? How can you see this movie 16 times? And it's just yeah. like, Dude, just because. And you're, if you're in film school and you're not watching a movie more than once, like, you're yeah. going to fail. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, there, I can't, there's so many movies I can't process the first time. No, because you're so struck with the, with the, yeah, the story. Yeah. And the yeah. story. The, yeah. I, watched, I, I watched movies at least two times. Like, yeah. at the very least. Two times. And I love I love the process of watching a movie for just enjoying it, and yeah. then watching a movie to write notes. Yeah, on get it. that get that first part out of the way. Yeah. Then, yeah. Okay. Let me see what he was talking about. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And see, it, it just feels me, good. Let me take notes. And I've never been able to see a Stanley Kubrick film, uh, the first time and take notes on the first time. I always have to watch the movie. There's movies that I can sort of watch and take notes on while I'm watching it, but Kubrick is the one director that I I have to watch the movie and then rewatch it to take notes. Mm. I can't write notes while watching the movie because it's so the imagery so like inclusive to my thought process that I just end up not taking notes do <laughs> oh, yeah. so. you have any movies of his that you have not seen that you're wanting to see really badly Eyes White Shot is, a, is, a, is one I'm gonna I, I've seen Full Metal Jacket but I was really young yeah. so I'm probably gonna go check back Full Metal Jacket and Eyes White Shut's also in the school library cool. until I first saw it nice yeah I'll, I'll, I'll go check it out yeah um, uh, I haven't seen Doctor Strange Love. Haven't seen Doctor Strange. I've seen that. I rented for Netflix about five or six years ago. I didn't understand it. I, <laughs> I know it's like sad. It's like a, a satire kind of film is, about yeah. you know how obsessed we are with nuclear with nuclear war, war yeah. with bombs. Yeah, and it's also like because Stanley. I, I know we were short on. You're time, fine, but he's a, he's part of like a growing up in the growing up in New York. He was all, and also being Jewish. There was this group called the, like the the intellectual New York intellectual group, filled yeah. of like artists, uh, musicians, poets mm-hmm. um, that were Jewish and kind of had their own little clique mm-hmm. organization. And I guess they opposed the idea of nuclear war in the Soviet Union or something and yeah. wanted all nuclear weapons taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember something, so, something like that. But Stanley Kubrick being Jewish never really, he didn't really associate himself with that group, but yeah. he kind of made a, a, a film based off their kind of beliefs about the, <laughs> but he never claimed any sides. And also in the movie, it's a sad kind of, he kind of like makes fun of his own uh, Jewish heritage. Right. Uh, a lot of, like a, one of the characters in the movies named after a Jewish pudding he used to eat when he was a kid. <laughs> so it's also like a little bit of a jab at, Jew, at his uh, Jewish, Jewish culture. Yeah. Jewish yeah, culture. You gotta be able to make fun of yourself. Yeah. But that's that's the one I have not seen Doctor Strange Love. I've just read about it and I would love to see that one. It's not on Netflix streaming, but yeah, you they can do. They order took it, it off of yeah. Amazon video. I was mm-hmm. fucking pissed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I wanna see his earlier stuff, Lolita. Yeah. It should be interesting to see how he evolved over time. Oh yeah. Spartacus. I saw Spartacus when I was very little. I think I think my closing thought on Kubrick would be that uh he is. I've said it like four times already, but he is trying to make you think about the perversity of your mind and the, the perversity of like what the world is and sort of like there's no way to escape it. It's always going to be there. Yeah. And I think that if you're in any sort of way interested in that thematic, you should absolutely watch anything that Kubrick has done and you'll find that thematic in there and you'll find the concept of like um, admitting to yourself that you do in fact have these thoughts and that no matter how much you try to run away from them, they're still going to be there. And yeah. I think that's the basis of a lot of comedy. That's the basis of a lot of like good uh, drama in general. Just when you can make your audience admit to themselves that they're having a thought that they don't want to have. Yeah. And if you can do that, 
uh, well, then you have a good movie. But if you can do that by imagery alone, then you have a great movie. Great movie. Yeah. And I mean, when we're in our 20s, it's we, we, I think we start to go on this journey of self-discovery. Yeah. We're trying to de- find out who we are as human beings. And I mm-hmm. think that's a, it's a good way to Especially as directors. Yeah. Especially as directors, because we're all filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching Kubrick is definitely tell, like guiding us to like where we want to be as directors. Oh, yeah. And watching any great director, for that matter, you sort of learn by osmosis, by what they do. And yeah. whether you like it or not, they're going to influence you. Definitely. Yeah. I think so. Yep. All right. Closing thoughts, Chris? Uh, watch Stanley Kubrick movies. Perfect. There you go. Cool. All right. We're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back for the premieres. Premieres? What? What? <laughs> oh, shit, son. 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 This son. is Chris's thunder. <laughs> th- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back, guys. Girls are probably like, oh, he's fucking sexist. He's he's obnoxious. I'm cutting this off right now. God. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I swat. I, I, swat. I, was, I, I think I it's just sweat, right? I mean, sweated it. It's, it's just like, sorry, I sweated today. It's just sweat. You, <laughs> sweat, you sweated it. <laughs> 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 I think it's just sweat and sweating. Yeah. I think so. English is bullshit. Yes, really, is, English yeah. is fucking bullshit. Uh, yeah. Um, but I'm super stinky because we worked in the set today. And oh, yeah. Like, even though it was like air conditioned and nice and shit, mm-hmm. it's like I, you lift heavy things and then you move everything. So yeah, then you, there's still like bright lights everywhere. Dude, yeah, and then yeah. you got to tell some fucking dude that's sitting in a chair that's not supposed to be sitting. It's like, hey, fuck you. Get here and do your job. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. I don't know. It just makes you sweaty and angry. I mean, standing anywhere for a while. But yeah. <laughs> that's true. Anyway, let's move on to our TV uh, premieres. TV and premieres, yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, let's see. Coming up on Thursday, April the 21st, Inside Amy Schumer. No, you don't like that show. I, uh, neither one of you guys. <laughs> neither one of you guys. I just don't think Amy Schumer is that funny. And you're wrong. What, do you, think, th- what do you think? I think she's funny. She's just, fucking I, I, funny. I'm just hating on her. She's yeah. fucking funny. She's uh, just not my brand of humor. I mean, I can understand yeah. that. I can understand. What but she is doing. I've heard very people. Good people don't like how she kind of like tears herself down. She kind of. She kind of tears it. But like that's. No, no, that's what I'm fine with that. Self deprecation is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially from women. Like when they when they're able to make fun of themselves and tear themselves down and laugh at it. Like mm-hmm. I love that shit. That's great. Like, men do it all the time. You know, but when it's coming from a woman, it's like, ah, oh, maybe you leave a little to the imagination. I don't want, like, no. Give because them there's a mysticism rights. to women that people don't want destroyed, mm-hmm. I think. And I'm super glad that women are like, ah, oh, fuck it. My pussy gets dirty sometimes. Yes. Deal with it. Yeah. It's like, I like the fact that they're doing that. Uh, just because it's, uh, first of all, I think it's hilarious to yeah. watch people get uncomfortable at it. Yeah. yeah. And even though I don't think Schumer's that funny, in my mm-hmm. opinion, like, her jokes don't land with me. Okay. Well, well I've really only seen her sketch comedy. And oh, the sketch, show's good. Yeah, and her sketch comedy doesn't really land with me. Mm. Because I'm not a fan of sketch comedy to begin with. Oh, all right. All um, right. So, but I'm sure she's great and she's doing great things. Yeah. But I like that she breaks down the walls of like comfort for men watching, oh, watching yeah. her. Like my favorite thing is every time she comes up with something new, watch mm-hmm. Facebook and just watch people get fucking angry at Amy Schumer for being dirty. I was like, ah, oh, yes. I like this. It's so good. That's how <laughs> Lena Dunham is. Have you seen a show called Girls, Jonathan? I mean, I've heard of it. Uh, props to her because she kind of like. And she got discovered through Sundance, and yeah. I mean, she went that indie route, which is so hard to do. She had a uh, a movie that was out. It was either a t- tiny furniture or a little furniture. I think yeah, I think that was furniture. the movie that got yeah. got her notice. It was a tiny furniture. She did that with uh, her own parents wearing that. Nice. And um, Judd Apatow seen it, and then he decided to produce uh, the show Girls. That's on HBO now. Nice. So I mean, she's breaking barriers for women like 
like nothing I've seen before. Yeah. I mean, she's, I think me and you talked about it. She's I not so what too. you consider like conventionally attractive, mm-hmm. but she gives no fucks. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you can be a hundred pound girl wearing the other uh, shirt with like the midriff showing, but if you're a 230 pound girl, then you're like, oh, I don't know, put that away. You know, mm-hmm. she's like, fuck that. I have the same amount of right to wear these clothes as the skinny bitch yeah. does. You and, know? And, there, and there's a lot of like, women are dealing with a lot of, you know, body positivity mm-hmm. issues. They're mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of like, are we equal in men in the way? That's of the thing. We, yeah, we have to. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, but go it, ahead. it just comes back to like, oh, well, you know, she's not real hot, but you know, at least she's comfortable in her, in her own skin. And right. And I hate that we even have to, you know, bring that up. And what? Yeah. No, you have to bring it up. Like, I mean, I, we, I was talking about this like first or second episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as respect as I have for women, I wish that could come first. But the first thing is objectification. First thing, it's natural instinct. When I see a woman, then I objectify it as. Oh, that looks good. I want that. Two, oh, maybe she's very smart and a respectable person. She's a person. You know? Yes. There's a sort of biological that's, that's, that's instinct true. to that. Like, true. biologically, my instinct is that is a woman. That looks good. I want that. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, like, respecting her as a human being. Yeah. You know? Because at that, the end of the day, we are all creatures designed. Yeah, we're animals. Yes. Yes. We just want to fuck. Want to fuck, eat, and sleep. That's what we do. Yeah, so, man. Um, so that's going to, yeah. But that's th- true. That's a whole other conversation, the thing about women. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that women are dealing with body positivity issues or dealing with, like, are, can we be as funny as men, which mm-hmm. they absolutely can. Yeah. Uh, can we be as clever as men in movies? Can mm-hmm. we write the same type of humor? Can, can we, we read and write? Maybe can not. they read and write? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to bring it back, but I wanted to bring Who's that back. Who's a sexist asshole in his podcast? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, um, the yeah, next thing is uh, Friday, April the... 21st Patton Oswald a talking for clapping is going to be on Netflix okay cool talking for clapping anybody like Patton Oswald I like Patton Oswald is, he a, is it a stand up special yeah stand up okay. special okay. Patton Oswald's pretty awesome I love I love Oswald the next thing do I uh, carry on with the Amy Schumer theme uh, the Saturday April the 23rd Amy Schumer presents Rachel Feinstein only whores wear purple it's going to be on Comedy Central at 11 p.m. That's a great name. Okay. Is that a movie, television show? Uh, it's going to be a um, like a one-hour presentation. Okay. Of, you know? Cool. But I dig that. You know, number one, I love purple. I've set the, uh, the purple agenda for the past year. Yes, you have. You know, so um, she's saying the only whores wear purple. Well, I'll be on the lookout. Um, that's <laughs> April the 23rd. Uh, Sunday, April the 24th. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones Anybody? comes back. I don't watch Game of Thrones. You? you, you I did you? not watch last season because I was like, I want to finish the books. Right. Get this guy the fuck out of here, man. Get this guy the <laughs> I don't fuck out of here. I know, I know they went in two, I know they went in different directions because the yeah. show is pretty much already caught up to the books. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I wanted to just experience it first through the books. I'm on the last book and then I'll, and then I'll binge watch. Has anything about the show been spoiled for you? Yeah, fucking. I, I know. Uh, I know. We're we're not sure about Jon Snow. Okay, yeah. that's all he, I know. That yeah. That's all I fucking want to know. Yeah, I know. In the, in the book, back. Cersei's fucked up. She got her head shaved. So mm. I don't even want to know what right. happened to her in, in last season. But uh, yeah. I mean, cool. I, the show's coming back. But I I'm will not say, Jon Snow. Motherfucker's coming right back. Of course he is. He's not yeah. dead. Of course he's he coming is. right back. I mean, if you could bring Jon Snow back, can I not have Joffrey back? Joffrey was like the best villain Fuck on television. Joffrey. I will kill you in your face right now. <laughs> right now you talk about Joffrey. Joffrey was amazing. Joffrey did nothing to nobody. <laughs> he did everything to everybody. <laughs> he was so ugly. My favorite scene, again, I don't watch the show, right? Yeah. But I've seen clips in here. My favorite scene is 
Peter Dinklage, uh, Tyrion, mm-hmm. yeah. talking to Joffrey, and he just kind of points at him to like go down to his like eye level, mm-hmm. and then he just fucking slaps him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's fuck you. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's just such a good moment. Uh-huh. Uh, the next one, uh, same day Sunday, April the 24th, is uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, that's a good comedy show. on HBO, 10 p.m. Good that's show. a really good show. Hey, those are the my favorite joke about... Well, how can I jerk off four dicks at once? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 the skiing thing. Yeah, yeah. So fuck? good. <laughs> they were trying to find like a mathematical equivalent to like see how efficiently they could jack off the most dicks, mm-hmm. and they found like a math formula <laughs> for it. Yeah, solving a problem, and the whole the whole scene is like five minutes, and it it's so funny. Yeah, they figured it out though. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. They're just like, well, if you put two guys in front and then two guys two behind guys me, I can you. just kind of like swing my arms and jack off their dicks at the same time. Yeah, like a skiing <laughs> get, motion. And yeah, get yeah. maximum jack off time. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, Silicon Valley, uh, Sunday, HBO, 10 p.m. Uh, the next show coming on right after that is Veep, uh, starring Julie Louis-Dreyfus as a comedy, HBO, 10.30. Right. That show's fucking dope. I mean, this on season four or five. I've seen mm-hmm. season one through three. It's funny as shit. Doesn't, isn't one of uh, our professor's lawns uh, production designer? Work? Production designer. Yeah. On, on Veep. Hell yeah. That man has so many weird ass connections. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, I knew Charlie Chaplin's ex wife. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. He, I guess he's going to be on next week. <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 I produced Ooh. a movie that, or play that Peter Gabriel was in. He can't act for shit. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, my oh, fa- I'm, I'm going to grill that ass. <laughs> I'm going to grill that ass next week. My yeah. <laughs> favorite thing about uh, the one that he told us, like, we were just talking about Mel Gibson and like what woman won. And I was like, yeah. oh, my friend wrote that movie. I was like, what yeah. the fuck are you saying? We were watching <laughs> Forrest Gump and he's like, that cab dri- oh, that guy, one of my former students. Yeah. <laughs> His connections are weird. Oh, yeah. I, I would love to see like a, like a biopic of this guy. Yeah. It's funny as shit. I'm very interested in hearing, we'll hearing about him. We're going to get week. everything out that'll of him. That'll be awesome. <laughs> I promise you we will. Um, next coming up is uh, April the 27th is Trump versus Bernie debate right. for America it's going to be uh, a comedy on fusion at 9pm I'm kind of interested in that is that like an actual debate I believe it's a farce of some kind because I mean it's listed okay. as comedy right yeah, yeah just people dressed up I'm, I'm into yeah. it yeah. I'm into it Trump versus uh, Bernie <laughs> uh, that's it for television premieres uh, next is going to be movie premieres vote Bernie by the way yeah you should do that that would be <laughs> that would be nice uh, <laughs> oh for Bernie vote Bernie yeah uh, the next thing coming up on in movies this weekend is The Huntsman, Winter's War. Yeah, I'm going to snore on that one, too. Is uh, that a fucking... God. The I'm case sorry, two? dude. I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to films, but that just looks so bad. Did, I mean, what, what, what about Charlize Theron, though? <laughs> She's, I mean... <clears throat> I don't even. I don't care. I don't, I don't think. I don't so think any boring. actress or actor oh. in there right now is enough to make me want to. Emily watch Blunt. Movie. Emily Blunt. Charlize Theron. I don't like. No. I, I'm telling you, man. Look lame, like, dude. Oh. Oh. <laughs> any actors <laughs> right now? Actors and actresses. Uh-huh. They don't sell movies for me anymore. Like this is a sequel, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah. This is a sequel. It's a, not, there's no Snow White this time. Yeah. I guess because Kristen Stewart was like fucking the director last time. Yeah. yeah that was like a big scandal. She had yeah, like an affair with the director. Yeah. yeah. I assume both of them are not on this project. I doubt they would be. Yeah. But yeah, I don't really know why there's a sequel and it doesn't look good. Just I'm sorry. It, it makes money. Yeah. That's it. Maybe yeah, it that, I mean, that's the thing, yeah. Mm. People people that are... People will go see it. Yeah, people are going to go see it. I mean, I might... Uh, Charlize Theron, Emily Blunt. What the fuck are y'all talking about? What? I mean, sure, they'll probably... They're they're beautiful women, but... Sold. <laughs> what? It's sold. a terrible story. Fuck the story. Fuck the story, Charlize Theron, Emily Blunt. As long as they've got enough screen time, like I can just dole out and just zone out everything else. 
just show me. It's basically just movie porn. Then just go Google Charlie Theron. Just go Google Charlie Theron. Then. I'm not gonna watch Aeon Flux mm-hmm. 15 times. Like, you know, <laughs> I need some more Charlie Theron. And if this is the only way All I'm gonna right. get, then this is what I'm gonna get. You know. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and the last movie for this uh, week premiering is uh, Elvis and Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. We'll Sorry. be right back. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna watch Aeon Flux fifteen fucking times. No, no. <laughs> like I have to have more ways to uh, access Charlie's Theron. Elvis and uh, Elvis and Nixon looks really interesting. Yeah. Hell yeah. Basically, Frank Underwood two point Yeah. You watch House of Cards? Yeah. Have you been watching? I haven't, I haven't watched uh, the past season. Oh. Um, Some shit happens. I feel. In the season, doesn't I don't. It? I feel like I'm not the only one here, but sometimes I get lost in the political drama. Yeah. I feel stupid sometimes watching the show. I'm like, I should get this, but I'm really not getting it. No, it's I, really not. Happened to me too. I'm on season two of House of Cards. I don't watch television that much because some it's episodes such a are really good. I'm like, Dude, I mean, I'm I feel always like, like a fucking idiot right now. I'm always like a, a little high when I watch House of Cards, so I don't get a mind that I don't get it. You know, <laughs> I'm just like, all right, um, something is happening. This is cool. I'll catch back up in 20 minutes. I've just learned to watch it for the Frank Underwood. Uh, he side of has a screen yeah. presence. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Oh, Kevin Spacey. It's, it's, oh my god. Yeah. Shivers. Yeah. I think my yeah. favorite moment from any point in the show is when I think the show got backlash from having too much fourth wall breaking. So it was one episode. That was the coolest fucking. It was. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It but was. people, some critics gave it shit for it. And <laughs> fuck them. What do they want? I don't know. Like, what do you idiots. want them to do? <laughs> but uh, the the showrunners then made an episode where he doesn't address the camera at all whatsoever. Mm. And then right at the end of the episode, he's changing, and he's taking off his cufflinks, and he just looks through the mirror into the camera, and he goes like, thought I forgot about you, didn't you? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was like, and I was like, ah! Yep. Hey! <laughs> so good. Yeah, so uh, Kevin, Kevin Spacey, he'll be playing uh, Richard Nixon, and Johnny Knoxville, uh, he's going to be in the movie, too. Y'all remember nice. him from um, what, Jackass? Jackass? Yeah. Yep. But Michael Shannon plays Michael Shannon's going to be playing right? Elvis. Okay. Yep. Mm. What what the fuck is this Elvis versus Nixon like? No, not not versus uh, Elvis and Nixon. Oh, I okay. guess it's right around when uh, Vietnam was going on and Elvis wanted to talk to the president and protest the war. Just give us thoughts about it. Cool. So, That's the uh, information that I was missing. Mm. Um, I was you know I was waiting. I figured you know he'll probably miss one or two. But, oh uh, no no this this is, <laughs> these are the only ones that have a wide release. There's three others that have limited release. Uh, that you ready. you Damn, you shit, I'm I was sure ready to show you up. You man. might be privy to that information working at the uh, the movie theater. Oh I know I don't know I guess it was I guess it's limited but Miles Ahead with Don Cheadle. Miles Ahead yeah. That, Don Cheadle I was excited for yeah, that. He movie. plays Miles Davis. Yes. Like, that'll nice. be I'm actually that's gonna be at Concord Mills and I'm really excited to watch that. Is Nina gonna be there? Nina? It's it's um it's, it's a biopic about Nina Simone. It comes oh. out this weekend too. Yes. Nice. Bad. <laughs> we will have Nina. We nice. will have Nina. Yeah. See, that was another AMC limited Concord release. Mills. Come yeah. come visit. Don't be a fucking dick. Yeah. Be nice to us. Come watch. Uh, don't just on our carpet and yeah. don't spill yeah. the popcorn. Yeah. And don't do both at the same time. Yeah. Then it's just sticky popcorn. No one likes that. Yeah. What the fuck am I saying? I don't know. Yeah. Are we going to premieres? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's it for uh, television and uh, movie premieres for the week. Sweet. It looks like we have interesting interesting things mm-hmm. uh, coming out. I want to, before we head out, I know we've fucking gone over time already, but there's a thing. Uh, Ghost in the Shell movie just got cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Scarlett Johansson's, the wow. actress that got, that got cast, cast. Scarlett Johansson? Scarlett Johansson, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is great, but the people were angry at the studios 
for not casting an Asian person because it's a Japanese story. So oh. it's based on an anime. Oh. But forgive my ignorance. Yeah. I have not seen Ghost in a Shell. I have just read about it. So. But I've heard that the character that she's playing mm-hmm. is like, it doesn't necessarily have to be, it's any person. Here, here's the thing. I don't know about it, Ghost it in the Shell either, right? It's not an Asian person. Yeah, I don't know about oh. Ghost in the Shell either. I haven't seen the anime. I don't know what it's about. But uh, the only reason I bring it up is because um, we brought up, we, people are angry at the studios for whitewashing a character mm. that's supposed to be inherently Japanese or Asian or whatever the fuck. Mm. Uh, and then, but they don't realize that they're angry at the wrong thing, right? And Max Landis, who's a great screenwriter, okay. uh, did a video on this, which I'm going to put in the description of the SoundCloud because I think it's important that people understand this. Mm. Uh, when when white actors get ca- cast in a movie mm. that's supposed to have another race of a thing. They're trying to sell it. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. That's exactly what Max Landis said. Mm. It's not because the studio wants to whitewash. It's not a race mm. thing. No. It's because we only have 10 A-list actors. And about seven of them are white. Mm-hmm. You know, there's two black guys, Denzel and Morgan Freeman, mm-hmm. or, or Will Smith, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, those three black guys. Mm-hmm. And all of them are like seven white people, and like two of them are women. And those are the people that get movies made. Yeah. So when you get a movie that's as risky as Ghost in the Shell, yep. with that much CGI, that much special effect, that much coordination, mm-hmm. they're not going to give the movie to an unknown Asian actor. Yeah. They're going to get someone that's guaranteed to bring numbers into the theater and get money back. And that's why Scarlett Johansson was cost, cast. Mm. It's not because um, because studios are inherently whitewashing or because they want the one just white people to be portrayed in cinema. No, it's because they care about money. Yeah, it's I because mean, they need money. The people, they don't need it. The, well, they want money. <laughs> yes, they, they, they want more money. Because you could take the Stanley Kubrick route and not cast those big names and just have yeah. a respectable product. But then mm. when it's a movie such as Risky, unless you're Kubrick, you're not going to get it funded. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that there there comes in the issue yeah. of like why these actors are always the one getting casted. I mean, we have ten people, eleven at most. Yep. But but back in the early two thousand, we had Jet Li, we had Jackie Chan, we had a lot of black actors, a mm. lot of Asian actors, a lot of Mexican actors mm. that were considered celebrities. But that trend is not happening anymore. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know what caused that. But that's I think people are angry at the at the wrong thing. They're not angry at the. They shouldn't be angry at the studios for casting Scarlett Johansson. They shouldn't be angry at Scarlett. I think they should be angry at the system that makes the movies. I just want to. I just yeah. wanted to point that out because it's, I've been seeing it in my feed for fucking ages. Yeah. And I'm fucking tired of people here saying, "Oh, they're whitewashing Asian characters." No, they're just making a movie that needs to make money. On uh, that, and I can. I think I can agree on that particular situation. I don't want to be so yeah. broad to say that they're not whitewashing movies because they mm-hmm. kind of are in a, in one some aspects. I'm talking you know, about Ghost in the Shell specifically. Yeah, yeah, just for that specific instance. But yeah, but they it is to generate money. I mean, you're yeah. trying to sell your product. If I write a script and then the character, the, the characters that I have in it, and the people that I want to play mm-hmm. don't draw in money, then they're going to change those people, bring, yeah. cast people that draw in money. I don't care if it's Will Smith or George Clooney. Mm-hmm. The color of the person doesn't matter if. If either one of those people can draw me in the most money, that's who they're going to cast. Yeah, pretty much. You know? And I, I just wanted to bring that up just because it, it I think, me. but shouldn't, where's the line? Like, uh, should money kind of, money should take, I mean, it's still going to make a decent profit. I just, mm-hmm. I feel like money should take a, a backseat. That's a backseat. You, <laughs> to, to, to cast it. I mean, yeah. if, if this character that Scarlett Johansson is playing is supposed to be Asian, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like take that leap, they I want guess, the money. and here's the thing: the make uh, it put up, put the correct people in the film. Mm. I mean, I don't understand. Sure, a white woman 
that's established as established as Scarlett Johansson, you know, people are going to take note of that and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to go check that out. But yeah. I don't really think people will completely. I don't. The, I, the well, difference. It's, it's, the not, difference. it's not that people are going to go check it yeah, out because money. of Johansson. It's because uh, people that fund the movie yeah. say Johansson's in this. She has a good track record. Here's a million dollars to make this movie. Mm-hmm. But there's no established kind of Asian actor that could. Play. No, there's really not. I mean, let's we have anyway. let's think about it ourselves. You know, like is there an established Asian actress that could be that could pull in the kind of numbers that Scarlett Johansson could? We don't even have no, Lucy Liu anymore. I can't even think of a name. The yeah. lady from a uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. still, I don't can't even tell you her name. But they're not A-list celebrities. You yeah. know, they're not what we would call mainstream. A-list Lucy Lawless. Lucy Liu is the one that I think about, but she's not been in the, she's been in television. She's not A-list, yeah. Yeah, she's not A-list anymore. And so, and I think it's a shame because I agree that money should take a backseat. That that would be my philosophy of making a movie. Mm. Money should definitely take a backseat to the story. Because at the end of the day, you're just you're making art, right? It's yeah, it's Catch Twenty Two. Ghost in the Shell is apparently a very popular anime, and I mean that should alone that alone should get people there, regardless of who of who you cast. I I don't know, like. If you're going to make a movie as, as niche as Ghost in the Shell, right? Mm. If, which is big, but it's still a niche movie. If you're going to make a movie like that, I think you gotta you, you should assume the risk of like not having a major A-list celebrity mm. and that, get, that, a, that's get a new thing. celebrity out. Risk. Yeah. There yeah. needs to be risk takers. And yeah. I think that should be uh, that, that should be a thing. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, but we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, once the movie's closer in production, I'll probably bring it up again. Cool. Uh, guys... Thank you so much for watching. This was episode 13 with Jonathan Smathers. Views from the 6th, April 29th. Look, listen to this guy. <laughs> Views from the 6th, April 29th. Did you, did you, are you getting that reference at all? No. Drake is a, um, a half-Jewish, half-black guy. He's a, a rapper. Um, Half-Jewish. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he hails from, uh, from Toronto, Canada. Right. And he has an album coming out called uh, Views from the 6th. Nice. Oh, so it releases on April 29th? Fuck yeah. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I don't care what anyone fucking says about him. Everything he puts out is just, I hate this word, but it, it, it's fire. It's God fire? It's fire. Everything he puts out is fire. Dude, I don't. I can't think of a bad, like, Drake album. I, right. I, I mm. love. I'm not a fan of Drake. I so love I Drake, dude. Flinner, I, I'm sorry. You're mm. fine. He's a culture vulture, but I love Drake. Culture vulture? I mean, who isn't? Yeah, true. true. It's the same reason I love Kanye. I hate Kanye, but I love Kanye. Mm. I miss the old Kanye. <laughs> Thank you guys for watching. Uh, have a nice one. Stay lovely. Bye guys. Yeah, it was fun. And this Wait. is Jonathan. Yeah, I hope I can. Yeah! Uh, hope I hope I can come back soon. Some yeah. Nah, time. Nah, Please. No. We're banned. No. That April twenty sixth bullshit. <laughs> All right, guys. Love you, Jonathan. Yeah. Guess that's that. All right. Thank you guys for watching. Later.